we're continuing our series on the fruit of the Spirit. And I've been away for most of the week and my mind has been elsewhere. And I thought we were looking at gentleness this week and at all the thoughts and things that were, were leading up to that. But that's next week. We're on faithfulness. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and then gentleness and self-control. Faithfulness. Some decades ago, the U.S. President Theodore Roosevelt said, it's better to be faithful than famous. And that's quite something when we think about it. It's If we had the opportunity to be a celebrity if we had the opportunity for lots of people to know about us, all that fame, he says that really that isn't anything compared with being faithful. Having a faithful character is better than having fame. We only have to look at the latest series of I'm a Celebrity, Get Me Out of Here, (laughs) to realize that, well, Ofcom has received... uh, I think about 2,000 complaints about Matt Hancock on the show. More than half of them are complaints from the public that he was allowed to take part at all. There he is, putting himself forward as a celebrity. But he was unfaithful in terms of his role as, was it health minister? When COVID was out, he was telling people, you must keep your restrictions and your distance. And yet he wasn't doing that himself. And he was unfaithful in another way as well. But almost uh, the rest of a, a lot of the rest of those complaints are not about him being on the show. Uh, a lot of those complaints are about how badly he's been treated by his fellow compatriots on the show. They're certainly picking on him in a way which is ungracious. But the idea that that he's on there as a celebrity who has been unfaithful in his role, in his work, just jars with people, both the contestants as well as the public. It's better to be faithful than to be famous. But we can ask, what is faithfulness? What does the word faithfulness mean? I'm sure we can think of many situations in which we want or know people who ought to be faithful to us. There's marriage faithfulness. We want faithful friends. We want people who will stand by us in our time of need. If we're at work, employees need to be faithful to their bosses. When the boss's back is turned, employees ought to be just continuing on doing their work rather than skiving off. We need society We need police to be faithful to the rule of law. And across the world, that is not the experience of many people down through the centuries. When we're driving home, (coughs) we might be faithful stopping at a red light, but when there's a green light and we go off, we hope that other people are going to be faithful and stop and not crash into us. We need people to be faithful in many aspects of life. But what does Paul mean in Galatians 5.22? The word that is used there is the Greek word pistis, 
It's a noun, and it has a few different meanings. And <coughs> as is so often the case with Greek, or Hebrew, and other languages as well, the different senses of the word are often determined sometimes by the grammar, but more often by the context in which they are found. This word, faith, just as we use it in English, can mean the exercise of faith, the act of believing, placing our faith in Christ for salvation. It can mean at the same time being true to the faith, being true to the doctrines, the truths that we believe. Or it can mean the sense of somebody being faithful. That Greek word pistis can be translated in two ways as faith, but in a third way as being faithful or trustworthy. And this is the sense in which we have it in Galatians 5.22. Paul isn't saying that the fruit of the Spirit is that people will come to faith in Christ, but that the fruit of the Spirit is living out a life of faithfulness. We're probably more familiar with it, the adjective faithful. And that fits very well. That's uh, the idea that Paul is communicating here. <coughs> if someone is faithful, they're reliable, they're trustworthy, they're dependable. That's what we understand when Paul says that the Holy Spirit produces faithfulness in God's people. It's okay, don't worry. When I was at Bible College, one of the lecturers said that he was actually interviewed, this is about 20-something, the late 90s, on the TV, used to, you know, people's phones going off in church was actually a new thing. He says, well, the interviewer says, what did you do when somebody's phone went off in the church? He says, well, these things happen. I just pulled it out of my pocket and it <laughs> turned it off. So it can happen to the pastors as well. But being faithful means to be reliable. It means to be consistent, but it means more than just that. I know some people, and you probably know some yourself, that when they arrange to meet up, you think this will be a miracle if they meet up at the right time. As I said, their track record has been to cancel either a day or an hour before and so you book something else in, in case, just in case. Um, you can almost rely on them not turning up. They are not faithful. But it means more than just being reliable. It means being true to what you say. For example, I don't know about you, I mean, there's a lot of people who have friends or relatives and they're so used to not just embellishing the truth but actually what comes out of their mouths you think that's definitely not true I know for a fact that that isn't what they've said you get to the point where whatever they say you automatically disbelieve it if they were to tell you something that you knew was true you begin to doubt it some people are unfaithful in what they say Some people disappoint us by their unfaithfulness, their unreliability. John Sanderson, in his little book on the fruit of the Spirit, puts it well when he says, 
Unfaithfulness is undependability. And if we probe a little deeper, we see that unfaithfulness is very close to disobedience. We instinctively understand that unfaithfulness is a negative thing, a wrong thing, a morally wrong thing. But it's, it's helpful to look at the link as to why we see that. The idea of faith or faithfulness being linked to obedience is most clearly seen in the history of the Israelites down through the centuries. In Hebrews 4, 6, we read, So God's rest is there for people to enter, but those who first heard this good news failed to enter because they disobeyed God. The Israelites were disobedient. They disobeyed the command to go into the land of Canaan just after Moses rescued them from Egypt. And the reason they disobeyed God's command was they they didn't trust, they didn't have faith that he would protect them, that they would be safe. They disbelieved him. They didn't have faith. And their lack of faith resulted in their disobedience. In Hebrews 4, 6, we, we see their disobedience. But in Hebrews three 19, we're told that because of their unbelief, they were not able to enter his rest. The writer to the Hebrews links unbelief unfaithfulness. Faith and belief are like synonymous virtually. Unbelief, unfaithfulness with disobedience. Their disobedience stemmed from lack of faith. In contrast, Paul, for example, in Galatians chapter 3 or Romans chapter 4, looks at Abraham, the father of faith. He trusted God and he was obedient to God based upon the faith that he had in him. He was told to go up and take his son onto the mountain and to offer him as a sacrifice. In the end, he didn't need to do that, but he was willing to obey God. He trusted God. He even trusted that if necessary, his son would be resurrected from the dead. And he said to servants, I and the boy will come down again. This was a test of his faith and his obedience proved his faith, his faithfulness. The link between obedience and faithfulness is clear. When Paul writes to those who are faithful in Christ Jesus, at the start of many of his letters, such as in Ephesians 1 verse 1, he's writing to those who are continuing to follow Jesus, continuing to trust in him, to believe in him, to walk in his footsteps. Those who are, who are generally obeying his commands, walking as faithful followers of Christ. Obedience and faithfulness are linked. An obedience which is rooted in faith and trust in God's ways, being right. An obedience and faith and trust in God's strength in the spirit to be able to be obedient. Being faithful is therefore also associated with pleasing God, with doing good, with living out the Christian life as we ought to. But yet, we all fail. 
we all fail to be as faithful as we ought to, even though we've been reconciled if we've trusted in Christ, reconciled to the Father through faith in Christ. We sin. When we walk in the old sinful nature of the flesh, we cannot do anything else but sin in one way or another. But yet, if we are unfaithful, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny who he is. He has promised, as John tells us, if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. So even if we are unfaithful to him, he is faithful to us in forgiving us in Christ. There is forgiveness if we are unfaithful. If there wasn't, we would be stuck. But we thank God that all our sin has been atoned for on the cross. We need to look nowhere else but the cross. Yet, even though we sin and even though we have forgiveness, we should not take that for granted and say, oh, it doesn't matter. We've got forgiveness. We can be unfaithful. That is not characteristic of those who are followers of Christ. <coughs> we should instead walk more and more in faithfulness to him. More and more we should be walking in holiness, shining more brightly as lights in a dark world. We should be bright lights, not dim ones. We should be sinning occasionally rather than being obedient occasionally. <clears throat> God calls us to do good, to live righteously before him, loving God and loving our neighbor. And Micah, this has been clarified. The Lord has told you what is good, and this is what he requires of you. To do what is right, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. So God, too, is more concerned that we are faithful than famous. In fact, he says that if we are faithful in small things, he will give us more important things. If you're faithful in little things, you will be faithful in large ones. But if you're disobedient, dishonest in little things, you won't be honest with greater responsibilities. God often puts us to a test in small things. And if we are faithful in them, often out of the, the way that people don't see, if we're faithful in small things just before God, us and him, then he might, and he often does, he gives us opportunities to serve him in ways which other people can see. In terms of serving God, it is those who are not concerned with fame, but those who are more concerned with faithfulness, who God allows to have fame. This was true of William Carey. He was a a simple shoemaker in England. And he did his job well. And he prayed for, for people in other lands. And he was concerned about the cause of the gospel. And this was a time when the, there weren't missionaries. As he raised the question of, at, at, a, at a conference one year, an annual conference, 
he raised the question of how can people in other lands hear if we don't go and tell them? And an older minister who had the wrong attitude, he says, sit down, young man. If God wants to save the heathen, he'll do so without your help or mine. (laughs) That's not how God works. He does use our hands and feet to go and take the gospel to people. Not put off, he asked the same question the next year, but got a more positive response. And in the end, after that, the first mission organization or modern mission organization was set up and he was its first missionary and he went off to India. That was around the the 1800s, the start of the, the 19th century. Years later, <clears throat> when asked about his great accomplishments in his work of translating the Bible into Indian languages and dialects, he said, <coughs> I am not a genius, just a plotter. He didn't see himself as being very special, just somebody who could faithfully plot on, even though all his manuscripts were once burned. Years of work lost, he started again. And in the end, he translated all the Bible or portions of the Bible, not just into one language, but into 34 of the languages and dialects of India. He plodded on. He was faithful to God. And God was more interested in his faithfulness than anything else. We are unlikely to be as famous as William Carey, the founder of the modern missionary movement. And ultimately, fame before the world doesn't matter. What matters is what God thinks of us, whether we've been faithful to him, even if no one sees. God's concerned with our heart. And we ought to be concerned with what God is concerned with, not what other people think we ought to live a life of faithfulness how are some of the ways in which we can live a life of faithfulness one of the simple ways of being faithful is to be reliable if we say something we should stick to it James or no Jesus says just say a simple yes I will or no I won't anything beyond this is from the evil one people would swear by the temple or, or different things But Jesus is saying, no, just keep your word. Obviously, there will be times when extenuating circumstances come up. And we understand that. Illnesses happen. Things happen that we were not in control of. But we ought to be reliable. We ought to be true to what we say. We ought to... I I know people who say, I'll give you a ring or... I'll call over to see you. And they don't mean it. They say, people say a lot of things because it sounds nice. But they don't actually mean it. How many times have we heard somebody say, I'll get you that money I owe you the next time I see you. And you just know they're just trying to make you feel good and give you a promise or a hope, but it's It's hollow. And it goes without saying that we shouldn't lie. We should certainly not bear any false witness against others. Not just in court, which is what that command in the Ten Commandments was really focused on. 
but in conversation with others as well. We shouldn't exaggerate. How many times have you heard a story and you really don't know whether to believe it or not? And we should have a reputation for telling the truth, the simple truth, the plain truth, being reliable, dependable, and trustworthy. If we make a, a promise, apart from exceptions, Christians ought to be trustworthy. People ought to be able to rely on us. And especially in the workplace, we ought to be, we ought to be faithful to our boss. We signed a contract. We'll do the work if you give us the, the reward. It's too often that we see people at work who, I saw it so much up and learn. I remember doing a, a placement in one part of the, the factory where we were learning different things and there was this wee job that I started to do and the rate I was starting to do it, it would have been over in five or 10 minutes, 15 minutes max. And one of the guys said, oh, oh, hold on, John, slow down. See that job there? That's to last us another couple of hours. <laughs> we don't get, want the manager to think that we can do that in the speed that you're doing it. Um, they just got used to doing things at such a slow pace. And that's not right. We ought to be faithful and diligent. There's one person I've heard of who, because he had such a clear conscience, and because he wouldn't cut corners at work, when the, the salesmen or the managers were thinking of doing something different, maybe modifying the product to cut costs or do something new, they would always run it by him. And if he gave his okay on it, they knew it's okay to do this. But if he says, no, I'm not too happy with that, say, okay. That's not right. We oughtn't to do that. He effectively became, this believer became the conscience of the company. That's what living faithfully before God looks like at times. At other times it means being a friend, somebody who will be there when people are struggling. Sometimes it just means being there with somebody in their time of need. Sometimes you don't know what to do. Sometimes in bereavement, for example, sometimes it's just all that's needed is just turning up and letting them know that they're not alone. When people sometimes aren't able to process words, they just need support. Faithfulness also applies in the home, especially in the family. Without thinking of anyone in mind, let's... Let's think of some of the statistics and re relating to faithfulness and marriage in the home. I mean, it's great to see young couples or even older couples tie the knot in marriage. Not only when they get engaged and then set a home together, but sometimes people who have been cohabiting decide to, let's do this right. Let's get, let's get married. Let's make this a legally binding commitment to be faithful to one another. And that's the way God has planned it. <clears throat> Marriage is far better than simply living together, not only for the, both the husband and wife, but also for the children, if they are blessed with children. 
Dr. Patrick Schneider wrote about the impact of the lack of commitments in families. He wrote in a Catholic magazine in the US, in the New Oxford Review. Among his findings were that men in cohabiting relationships are four times more likely to be unfaithful than men who are married. Depression is three times more likely in cohabiting couples than in married couples. Abuse of children is 20 times higher in cohabiting families than in married families. Or 33 times higher if the man is not the biological father of the children. In the UK, a researcher, Dr. Patricia Morgan, found similar results, the same results, plus she found that less than 4% of cohabitations last for 10 years or more. They either break down or else they realize, let's get married. And marital status was the strongest predictor of domestic abuse, ahead of all kinds of other things like race, age, education or housing conditions. 40% of cohabiting couples end up marrying, although their divorce rates tend to be higher if they've married much later. She notes about the marriage promise to be faithful to one another through life's ups and downs, that this promise and the trust it builds encourages partners to make sacrifices for the good of the family. Some of the people in her report have said, one woman called Pauline said about cohabiting, you just don't know how long it'll last for. Even if you do your best to please him, you can't be sure whether it'll be there will be a tomorrow with your partner in the first place. But you have to accept things as they are, I suppose. It affects you in many ways. You can't plan for the future. You can't think of buying a car together or a house or to have a child or even to love him fully if you know that tomorrow he may not be there. One woman, Wendy, said, I was wrong and I know it. All that stuff about freedom and independence are empty words. It did offer convenience and freedom, all right, but only for Jim. De facto relations is an arrangement, that is cohabiting, works for the males and not for us. After six months, I could realize how this relationship was putting me deeper into insecurity and exploitation. In terms of finances, one woman, Adrienne, said, we always make everything incredibly equal. He makes about twice as much money as I do, but he makes twice as much money as I do, but she was expected to contribute just as much to the home. They were two individuals living in common rather than a unit together. (coughs) Her partner, Stuart, said, I'm not going to spend money that I earned for something that Adrian wants unless I want it too. It's amazing how selfish people can be. Is he going to be faithful to her if she gets sick or needs support? Or is he going to think that this relationship is costing him too much and then just bail out? Elaine, my wife and I, we have a joint bank account, a joint mortgage Things aren't hers or mine, really. They're ours. Although I often joke that the cat was just hers. <laughs> I'm not a cat lover, but really it was ours. Um, but it's no wonder that Dr. Schneider concludes that 
Cohabitation is bad for men, worse for women, and horrible for children. God calls us to faithfulness in marriage, in the family. And lack of faithfulness, lack of obedience, rebellion against God's plan to make a commitment in marriage just harms people. God wants us to be faithful. It gives us security. His ways are good. There are nevertheless, I should point out, some good, strong, cohabiting couples. But they're not as common as those that are found in marriage. And many do end up getting married, which is great. And it's good to do the right thing, if not at the right time, then later. We ought to be faithful, not simply because it is pragmatically beneficial, but because it is God's will. And we know that God's will is good. His ways are good in all that he does and all that he expects us to do. And being obedient to him is for our benefit as well. When it comes to being faithful, Becky Zerbe talks about her husband, Roger, who suffered from early onset Alzheimer's. And their faithfulness to each other is a sign of how we ought to be faithful before God. He wrote in a journal, he started, his memory was bad, he started to write things down as he thought them, so that his wife could read them later because he would forget them. After a particularly troubling bout of forgetfulness, he wrote, Honey, today fear is taking over. The day is coming when all my memories of this life we share will be gone. You and the boys will be gone from me, and I will lose you even as I'm surrounded by you and your love. I don't want to leave you. I want to grow old in the warmth of memories. Forgive me for leaving so slowly. And painfully. Blinking back tears, she wrote in response to him, My sweet husband, I will continue to go on loving you and caring for you, not because you know me or remember our life, but because I remember you. I will remember the man who proposed to me and told me he loved me. The look on his face when his children were born the father he was, the way he loved our extended family. I'll recall his love for riding, for hiking, for reading, his tears at sentimental movies, the unexpected witty remarks, and how he held my hand while he prayed. I cherish the pleasure, obligation, commitment, and opportunity to care for you, because I remember you. That's faithfulness. When, as we promise in marriage, in sickness and health, for better or for worse. And that's what God calls us to. His faithfulness to us, whether we're faithful or not to him, his faithfulness to us ought to be reflected in our faithfulness towards others. Faithfulness especially for men, means being careful what you look at, who you look at. Sometimes we can't help what we see 
although we can make sure we don't browse certain channels. But we can be in control of what we look at. Something might come across our path, but we can choose whether to keep looking at it or looking at them or not. We need to be careful what we watch on the telly or on the internet. We should have faithful eyes, faithful to our spouse, faithful to God. And when it comes to worship, we should be faithful in our personal devotions as well as our participation in church. I'm not saying we should get into a guilt complex of legalism that I missed my devotions this morning and getting in a real downer about that. Things happen. Stress happens. Situations happen. We're not always as much in control of situations as we would like to be. But in general, we are more in control than we sometimes make out. The problem with making time for God is not really time. The problem for making time with God is priority. If he's at the bottom of our list of priorities, everything else will take priority first. But we thank God that in all these things, there's always forgiveness before him. That he is faithful to us, even though we are unfaithful to him. Imagine what society would look like. Imagine what church would look like if we were as faithful as we ought to be before God. Not only to each other, but imagine if our prayer lives were as faithful to him as they ought to be. I'm sure we can all have room for improvement. But ultimately, instead of looking to ourselves and looking and having a works mentality, we ought to look to God because he is the one who is the source of all faithfulness. When I was looking at this word faithfulness, <clears throat> this word pistis as it's translated in the ESV, which is more of a literal translation, it's interesting that this word, this Greek word, is translated faithfulness only three times in the New Testament. It's translated faith more often, but when it comes to the concept of faithfulness, we see in the Bible that this is tackled much more in the Old Testament, especially in the Psalms. It's much more spoken of of God's faithfulness to us. Psalm 33, verse 4, which we had read earlier, for the word of the Lord is upright and all his work is done in faithfulness. In Psalm 40, verse 10, I have not hidden your deliverance within my heart. I have spoken of your faithfulness and your salvation. I have not concealed your steadfast love and your faithfulness from the great congregation. God is faithful. It's his faithfulness that we speak of. And when Moses was up the mountain and the Lord passed by, the Lord described himself to Moses when he said, as the Lord passed by before him, he proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. That's how God described himself. And we read in Lamentations those well-known words, The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. 
His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. God has promised to be faithful to his people. Anyone who trusts in Christ can trust that God will be faithful to them. Adam was unfaithful when he sinned at the first opportunity. But Jesus was faithful. Jesus didn't sin. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, as the writer to Hebrews chapter 12 speaks of the whole list of people who were faithful, who lived by faith in Hebrews 11. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. Jesus is the founder and perfecter of our faith. He has gone to the cross. He has atoned for our sin. He has lived that perfect life. His faithfulness is given to us as a gift. He is the founder of our faith. But he's also the perfecter of our faith. By his spirit, he makes us more faithful. He is our role model as well as our saviour. He is our strength. Without the spirit, we would have no hope of being faithful. It's not enough to be forgiven and yet start and do the same things again. We are forgiven because of the cross, but we can walk in faithfulness because of the spirit. And we ought to fear God rather than the world. It costs sometimes. As Jesus says to the believers in Smyrna in Revelation chapter 2, do not fear what you're about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested. And for 10 days you will have tribulation. Be faithful unto death and I will give you the crown of life. As Roosevelt said, it is more important to be faithful than famous. And Jesus, you could say, says it's more important to be faithful than alive. Persecution should not take away our faithfulness. Let's persevere. Whatever the difficulties are, whether it's ostracism from others, whether it's opposition from enemies of the gospel, whether it's temptation from others from outside, temptation from the devil, Temptation from within our own sinful hearts. Let's not give in to those. Let's persevere in faithfulness. And let's look forward to, as Jesus says in that parable in Matthew 25, where the master will say to us, well done, good and faithful servant. Let's look forward to when we stand before God and he will say to us, Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter 
into the joy of your master. God calls us to be faithful in so many different ways. The gospel fixes our unfaithful hearts through the forgiveness of sin on the cross and also by the renewing of the Holy Spirit. Let's continue to be faithful. Let's be more faithful and let's draw close to the cross and let's draw close to the Lord because of his love and mercy to us. And it's only for a while where we struggle. When we go to be with him, it will be a breeze. We will be faithful forever. No more sin, no more suffering, no more pain any longer, no more unfaithfulness. Let's persevere for this short while on earth. Let's be faithful to him because of his grace to us. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your grace and your mercy to us. Thank you that you call us to to receive your faithfulness as a gift, your righteousness as a gift, simply by believing, by trusting, by placing our faith in Christ, our dependence upon him. Thank you, Father, that we have the Holy Spirit to make us faithful. Help us to walk in faithfulness. Guide us and lead us into ways which we can be more faithful to you and help us look more to you. Help us to think more about what you think of us than what the world might think. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.